Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting in Malifaux. Tonight, we have a story that pits spells against brass knuckles, sorcery against pugilism. Tony Ironsides was an underground boxing champion back Earthside. But how will her skills hold up against the magic of Malifaux? Stay tuned to find out. This episode of the Breesar Broadcast is brought to you by Sweet Pete's Boxing Gym. Come to Sweet Pete's to master the art of the uppercut or perfect that luscious left hook. All the greats come to Sweet Pete's to train. Joey Three Fists, Pretty Boy Jenkins, Gustav the Impaler Koshenko, even the legendary Tony Ironsides trains here. It's the best place in Malifaux to get punched in the face. Blurring the Lines by Jonathan Boynton Tony Ironsides let her cards ripple onto the wooden tabletop, watching the customers of the bar curiously. The last coin was an almost exclusively MSU bar, noisy, loud, and notoriously cheap. It was filled to the brim tonight as the workers got off their shifts. Torches and candles filled the air, adding to the smoke from numerous cigarettes and pipes that created a low-level haze throughout the two-story building. The ale was watered down and practically tasteless, but the food was decent enough. Barmaids wandered around unmolested, probably because most of them were miners' wives. The bar also serves as the usual haunt of Tony Ironsides and her friends, where it was an open secret that they held nightly card games in the back corner. They rotated through styles, and a chair was always set to the side for any newcomers that wished to join. It didn't take long for people to give up on the idea. Being fleeced by the orbit professional gamblers once was more than enough. Tonight's game was fairly simple five-card draw poker. In keeping with the traditions of the group, however, there was an ongoing side game to keep things interesting. What's the letter? Roger, one of several young students at the table, asked. He reluctantly tossed his script notes into a bowl that sat next to Tony. B, Tony replied, stretching her arms behind her back, working out a kink. She rested her hands on the table, her dark skin contrasting the pale wood. Ah, well in that case I'll call. It's to you, butthead, he said, pointing to his neighbor. Roger leaned back in his chair with a smile, bright eyes winking from a clean-shaven face. Like most of the others at the table, He dressed well, in expensive yet understated fashion. His neighbour, Professor Estella Bellinger, made a low sound in her throat. Have we already hit the point in the evening that butthead is an acceptable insult for the game? Must be later than I thought. Call, and I believe the phrase is read and weep, cretins. The old woman slammed her cards down with a toothy grin. Three queens. Oh, damn it, 
Harry Smith, another student, snorted, leaning back in his chair and chomping down on his cigar. The others echoed the sentiment, tossing their cards into the middle. Knew I should have dropped this round. Reminds me. Use that invective already, Grandma. Did I? Estella's puffy white eyebrows touched as she frowned. Bugger, I did. She pulled a handful of notes from her winnings, tossing them into the bowl. All right. My deal, I'm guessing. Mine, actually, Tony said, reaching for the deck. She picked it up, shuffling the cards adeptly. She dealt them out, then picked up her own hand, and had to suppress the urge to stick out her tongue. Damn cards. The sound of breaking glass followed by yelling made her pause. She turned to see a towering, red-faced drunken miner roaring at the top of his lungs. He grabbed another man, slamming the confused fellow onto a table that promptly shattered. I think that's your cue, Tony, Roger said conversationally, taking a sip from his glass. Sounds like, she agreed, her accent clipped and rough. She stood and pulled a brass knuckle onto her right hand. Don't leave me out while I'm busy, eh? Grabbing an empty bottle from the table in her left hand, she turned and whipped it at the drunk's head. Eh, don't bastard, over here! Over here? Really? Harry muttered. Couldn't convince him to take it outside, could you? Tony ignored him as the drunk charged her, glass and blood falling from his face. Tony felt the rush like icy spikes in her muscles, and she settled her feet into a loose stance. Calmly, she slipped on her other brass knuckle before throwing up an arm to block the drunk's first punch. She grunted at the grief pain from the impact, then smiled. Nice try, she said, then twisted to hammer an elbow into his stomach. The taller man doubled over. She grabbed his neck and yanked down, guiding his face into her rising knee. There was a satisfying crack as his nose broke and he screamed, stumbling back blindly. Tony stepped forward slipping a foot behind his ankle, then tugged. The drunk cried out in surprise as he landed hard on his back. Tony sank down to shove her knee onto his chest, aiming a punch at his face. The man's reflexes finally kicked in, and he grabbed her fist, twisting it to the side. He threw a wild blow that snuck past her block to smack straight into her face. She could taste blood and hissed, then responded with a jab to his nose. He screamed, hands jerking to his face, and she hit him again. Another handful of blows, until he finally collapsed limply to the ground. Idiot, she spat, wiping her mouth as she stood. Someone dragged his trash back home. Tell him he's lucky I did no real harm. Reaching down, she grabbed the man's wallet from his pants and pulled out a handful of scrip. Tony slapped a handful of the bills down on the bar. For his stupid tax. The bartender nodded sliding over a pitcher of water. She walked back to her table, favoring her uninjured shin, and sat at the table, tossing the rest of the money she'd taken down in front of her. Leaning forward, she picked up her cards. My call? The worst thing about any murder scene was the smell, Joyce thought, closely followed by the slight stickiness of stepping in drying blood. After serving in the guild for a number of years, one got used to the sight of blood and violence. 
but the smell permeated everything. Nights like this one that even stuck in her mouth. She took a swig from a canteen of water another guardsman handed her, trying to wash out the awful taste. This is one sick bastard, she muttered, staring at the pile of corpses. On the top lay a man with a hole where his heart used to be. Beneath him was the rest of his family. A young wife, two children. None of them had taken a close look at those bodies yet. No one wanted to. Third case with a style in the past week, her partner Damien said. The usual mess, too. Lack of witnesses, no one heard anything, no good leads. So we're starting with nothing again? Damn. Not nothing, guardswoman, a cultured voice said. Joyce and Damien turned to see a newcomer enter the room, tucking a black hat under his arm. He wore a burgundy long coat, and the stylized ram-head pin on his lapel identified him as part of the guild. We have his scent, and that's a place to start. At least, we'll have it soon enough. I'm sorry, sir, but you are Cyril Mullock, he said, bowing his head. He had a dignified look to him in spite of his old age. White had taken over his hair and moustache entirely, but his tanned skin spoke of a man who worked outdoors. I am with the witch hunters. Oh, Joyce exchanged baffled glances with Damien. I didn't know you were going to be here, sir. I didn't think that this was a matter for Lady Sonya. For now, it isn't, Mullock said, pacing around the pair of guild guards, studying the contents of the house. He spent some time examining the broken furniture scattered through the main room. Still, fourteen murders in three locations over the course of a week, with no witnesses. That indicates magic of some kind. Most likely human, since this doesn't match most cases of never-born attacks. What do you want us to do? Don't worry, my dear. Just let my hounds take a look and we'll see if we can find a lead for you. Mullock turned to the door putting two fingers to his lips and whistled. Nero, August, find our prey, he barked. A pair of short, pitiful-looking creatures dressed in rags shuffled in through the door. Joyce shuddered as she watched the stalkers move around the room with uncertain steps. They didn't walk like drunks, but had the slow, cautious gait of a predator. One of them stopped by the pool of blood, pressing bandaged fingers into the crimson. The other moved its head around slowly, pausing every once in a while as if to sniff the air. Damien put a hand on her shoulder. Joyce, the ragsheet writers are outside, he whispered. We're going to need to find a way to spin the appearance of a pair of stalkers. Tell them the hard truth, Mullock said, without looking at them. He knelt by the pile of corpses, gently moving the bodies with gloved hands to see the faces. We are here to catch a monster, and sometimes... That takes monsters of our own. Final call was an hour gone when the Arcanist agent showed up at the last coin. He climbed the steps to the upper floor, looking every bit like a Union supervisor in his well-maintained if inexpensive clothes. He paused, gazing up at the ceiling in confusion as he heard a repeating smack. Shrugging, the agent continued his climb, stopping next to the door at the top of the stairs. Roger, throw that damn thing one more time, I dare you, he heard a woman shout. Final stop, 
a young man replied with an injured tone. The agent knocked on the door. What did I just say? the woman yelled. There was a startled protest followed by a rapid argument he couldn't make out through the heavy wood. Suddenly the door was pulled open, and two intense blue eyes stared at him. Who are you? the old woman demanded. The agent cautiously pulled aside the collar of his shirt, revealing the tattoo that marked him as one of Victor Ramos' personal representatives. She studied the tattoo for a few moments, then grabbed his shirt and dragged him inside with surprising strength. So, you are my new handler? another woman asked. The agent turned to see a tough-looking black woman sitting in a chair backwards, arms hanging around it. She had a surprisingly thick volume in one hand, fingers bracing the pages open. Hard brown eyes looked him over, judging. That look changed his answer. No, Miss Ironsides, he said carefully. I'm just a liaison. She snorted, nostrils flaring wide. Fancy word, same thing. Ironsides marked her page and set the book on a small table. Understand something, friend. I do bite. Will too if you give me a reason. Best you don't do that. The agent nervously twisted a ring on his hand and nodded. Of course, Miss Ironsides. Tony or Ironsides? Don't hold to that miss nonsense. What's the job tonight, liaison? Have you heard about the killings in Upper Downtown? The agent asked, pulling a handful of folded papers from inside his jacket. He walked over to Ironsides, laying the sheaf on the table next to her book. Of course, Ironsides said. We read the rags and Mouse keeps his ear to the vine. A sick animal from the sound of it. More than you know. These are a sick animal, Ironsides. Pulling a photo from another pocket, he handed it to her. Recognize him? She looked at the photo and then twisted her lips. Wraithford. It's that bastard? That bastard indeed. He's gone feral. We lost track of him a few weeks back. He was there for a job but never showed up for his pay afterward. When another steam fitter made some discreet inquiries, we found that no one knows where he is. At first, not a problem. Then the killing started. The papers didn't make it sound like him. You're doing? No. He's not killing like he did for the movement. It's more violent, more gruesome. We don't know why the difference. He's off the leash, a young man muttered, taking the photo from Ironsides to look it over. He casually tossed a ball into the air, despite a glare from her. I was on a job with him once. He kept bucking against the restraints the movement put on him. He always was a bit of a blunt instrument when we wanted a scalpel. Bit too keen on theatrics, and arrogant as hell to boot. Who's the guild got on it? Ironsides asked. Mulk, the agent said. You need to get to Wraithford first, before he does. Last thing we need is a steam freighter falling into the hands of the witch hunters. I know, damn it. She rubbed her forehead with both hands. Estella, get mouse here. Time to plan. Mullock's already on this, knowing him. We need to hurry. Already here, Tony, a small man said, dropping in through an open window. His eyes were bright above his thick beard. Bad news. We've got a third set of murders. And Mullock's already there with his stalkers. Estella, catch. 
Mouse tossed the mage a small vial filled with crimson liquid. I found an eyewitness on the scene. Once I heard who it was, I snagged that. Think you can do something with it? Oh, probably, the mage said with a smile. Tony leaned forward, eyes intent. All right, Mouse. What have you got? They bother you, Malak said from behind Joyce. She squeaked and blushed bright as the sun, she was sure. Joyce coughed, trying to cover her red cheeks discreetly. Malak stepped around and winked at her. They... yes, she managed, turning back to the stalkers. It was strange in a way. The creatures were unnerving, moving with an odd blend of grace and suddenness. They sniffed the air and touched everything dragging blood all over the room. But she almost felt something like pity for them. Their bodies were twisted, fingers gnarled, and there was a keen cunning in their eyes. That's fairly normal, Mullock replied. They're sad creatures, my hounds, but necessary in the end. A penance for past crimes and the chance to protect those they've harmed. There are days where I wonder if such a harsh sentence is justified. And then there are days like today. Are they all like this? Like what? The mannerisms of the hunt? No. There are quite a few handlers, and we all have our own methods. I use the ones I've learned over the years, hunting other kinds of prey. They work well so far. The witch hunter glanced at a blood-spattered clock on the wall. It's getting late, my dear. Go home. My hounds and I will be fine overnight. I'll expect you back here in the morning. Do we know whose blood it is? Roger asked as he squatted on the floorboards of the house with a stick of chalk. He squinted at the diagram Estella was holding up, then began scribing a series of runes about the outer edge of a large circle. The pale white chalk covered a third of the floor so far, a meandering path of madness centred on the small vial in the middle. Does it matter? Harry asked, sketching out his own runes at another part of the circle. Now there's a morbid question. Oh, will you two shut up and finish the circle already? Estella snapped. Well, it could matter. What's the spell again? Roger stood, brushing white dust off his pants. Vianos, 23rd. Estella said. I still think we should be doing Feeney's fifth. Viano's is so old it creaks, Harry muttered. It can creak all at once so long as it works. And no, whose blood it is doesn't matter. That's not what my notes from the lecture at Oxford said, Roger said as he moved to the next part of the circle. Boy, I am going to beat the cheek out of you later, Estella said. Better yet, I'll bribe Tony to do it. Just hurry up and finish the thing. We don't exactly have a lot of time. Tony chuckled as she watched them, putting her book down on the table in front of her. Dawn was an hour off, but she needed to get moving now that breakfast was done. Got your feelers out, Mouse? The dwarf sat across from her, engrossed in reading of his own while he chewed absently on a biscuit. He looked at her from behind his glasses. Of course I do, he huffed as if I wouldn't be keeping aware of what's going on. Didn't mean nothing, she said, holding up a hand. Malak still at the house? 
Mal shuffled through his papers. Last reports I got said so. Seems he's following his usual pattern, and is spending the night there with the stalkers. Good, she said, pulling on a pair of gloves. Got some trackers for me? Going somewhere. Start in trouble, Tony said with a grin. Tony leaned back against the wall of the alley, watching the guild guards wandering in and out of the house. She anxiously tapped her foot, keeping a wary eye on the crowd that stood outside the newest murder scene. The group of people reminded her too much of the mobs her mother had warned her about as a child. The air was filled with tension, a combination of fear and anger that she knew all too well. She had manipulated crowds like this on behalf of the Union, by guile or force, but it always made her uneasy. It always brought to mind the night when her father was lynched for nothing more than the colour of his skin. A harried-looking guardsman walked over to her, carrying a small notebook. She bit the inside of her cheek at the sight of his guild insignia. How she hated that ram's head. So many bad memories to lay at the feet of that group. Oi, what are you doing here? She swallowed her first reaction, ducking her head as if nervous. No, heard you were looking for tips over this mess, she said. Tony hid a grin at his annoyed expression. It was an old game, pushing her accent further into areas that made people think her uneducated. You know anything? Was here last night I was. Thought there might be a reward. The guardsman looked disgusted as he opened his notebook and grabbed a pencil from his ear. What'd you see? It was fun watching his face as she slowly teased out a description of Wraithford. Tony couldn't just hand him the rogue steam fitter. Like most people, the guard were wary of information that was a little too perfectly given, so she pretended to be lost in thought, corrected herself, and had a good time watching the guardsman getting more and more frustrated. Is that all? He finally snapped. Dig so, she said cheerfully. So do I get anything for it? The guardsman opened his mouth to reply, then said nothing. Tony frowned, turning to look behind her. She had never met the old man who stood behind her, hand resting on the head of a witchling stalker. But she knew who he was from Mouse's reports. Something amiss, guardsman? Mullock asked. Tony took half a step away from him, cold spikes racing up her back. With effort, she kept her trembling hands from grabbing her brass knuckles hidden away in pockets. Just another scavenger, sir, was about to send her on her way. Did she give us anything we can use? The guardsman snorted contemptuously, but handed the notebook over. Mullock read over the notes slowly. Then he looked Tony over, taking in her tightly woven braids, dark skin and practical clothing, then frowned. I know you, he said finally. Tony Ironsides, right? Tony nearly panicked. Um, yes. I saw you fight once outside. One hell of a match. Made good money off betting on you. That took her by surprise. She had fought purely in the underground circuits to earn money. What was a guild officer doing seeing fights like that? Are you sure this account is correct? Sure as can be she replied warily, ignoring her pounding heart. Mullock smiled and tipped his hat to her. Thank you for your assistance. 
Pay her, guardsman. If your information turns out to be correct, we'll let you know, Miss Ironsides. The guild pays a bounty for good intelligence like this if it leads to an arrest. Know who that is? Tony asked. A monster of a man I know all too well. Once again, my thanks. Nero, August, come. The witch hunter turned away from her, walking to join a small group of the guard that stood nearby. One of the stalkers stared at Tony with watery blue eyes before following its master. Joyce rubbed her eyes as she walked up to Mullock. Since getting the description of the suspect, she hadn't caught more than the occasional catnap. The witch hunter had used his authority to drag out a full guard station to look for the man. He ran the whole process from a small desk in the station, with a map pinned up on the wall. Report, guardswoman? She yawned, then handed him the latest tips. He read over it, then began placing markers on the map. Joyce walked over to a nearby table, grabbing some food while she had the time. She jumped and dropped a biscuit as Mullock slammed his hand on the desk. We've got him now, the older man crowed. What? He shoved a finger at the map where a cluster of markers sat. They were concentrated around the warehouse district, a half dozen sitting on the same street. Get a patrol together. Yeah, fifteen minutes. We have the bastard now, and I intend to catch him. Ironsides looked up as Harry dropped from the roof. The mage landed heavily, his grunt muffled by the mask he wore. They're on the move, Tony, heading for the warehouses with a hurry. If we take the sewers, we should be able to beat them there. No, hold a little bit. He looked at her, body language surprised. What? The other two Oxfordian mages exchanged glances but said nothing. Let Moloch fight Rayford, she replied. We'll finish both off after. He hunts, we kill. Harry nodded slowly. All right, you're the boss. Mullock raised his hand and stopped the patrol as they stood at the door to a warehouse. Joyce drew her pistol, checking its mechanism briefly. The witch hunter gestured to his witchlings and the pair moved to flank him. Orders, sir? Stay here, guardswoman. Make sure no one comes in or out. If I do not come out after half an hour, send the guild for more witch hunters, and be sure to tell them I'm probably dead. As he spoke, the man drew a sword from his cane. You don't want any of us in there with you, she frowned. No, Wraithwood is too dangerous for all of you. I have the training so I'll take care of him with my hounds. Mullock looked at her and dipped his head. It's been a pleasure, Joyce. Hopefully we'll meet again. He whistled and entered the building, followed by the witchling stalkers. Tony flipped Mouse's tracker a coin. The urchin tipped his hat and ran from the area, and she turned to stare up at the warehouse. She glanced down at the vial of blood that hung from a chain on her wrist. It pointed like a compass to the building, shifting every once in a while to follow its target. In there, she said. All right, 
How do we get in? Estella asked, hands on her hips. There's a couple windows we could use, Roger said. He unwound a rope and grappling hook from his waist. Mouse has been showing me a few tricks. Go, Tony said. The young man nodded, whipping the device through a loop and throwing it through the glass. It took the group only a few minutes to scale the wall, dropping onto a stack of crates that sat inside. They looked around, carefully navigating their way to the floor. As Tony's feet touched the ground, she heard a terrifying scream of pain. Well, that didn't sound good, Harry muttered. Thanks for stating the obvious, Estella snapped. What do you want us to do, Tony? Another scream filled the air before she could answer. Tony drew a deep breath and consulted the blood vial. Follow me, she said, marching in the direction it indicated. The room was dimly lit by soulstone lanterns, some of which had burned out. They found their prey at the far end of the building. Rayford stood at the top of a crate pile, staring up at an older man crucified against the wall by shards of ice. The blonde serial killer turned as Tony and the mages approached, and he smiled, blue eyes wide enough to show white. Well, well, Miss Tony Ironsides, he said, bowing slightly at the waist. He shoved his hands into the pockets of his brown coat. I'm flattered. Ramos' own personal mage killer. I must have stirred up quite the bit of trouble if you're coming after me. Tell me, how do you feel being just the same as the likes of Mullock and the Crit Woman? I'm nothing like them, she spat, looking at Mullock hung on the wall. Blood dripped from his wrists, staining the ice crimson. He stirred with a groan. She flicked her gaze back to Raithford. Of course you aren't. You're not at Ramos' beck and call. Reinforcing his rule and control. Not responsible for dealing with that weasel-faced, twisty bastard's little magical problems. And he's not at all setting things up to be in charge when the whole house of cards falls to the ground. You're on the side of right and justice. He shrugged and jerked a thumb at the witch hunter. So tell me, here to rescue the old bastard... Just here for you. Oh, how nice, Rayford grinned. Even more fun for today. Still, tell me something. Have you seen any sign of his witchling stalkers? Tony looked at the mages hesitantly. They all shook their heads at her. What's that got to do with anything? Anything? Well, not much. Still, it does present an interesting dilemma for you, doesn't it? After all, what could defeat a pair of Sonya's little pets? He clapped his hands, the sound echoing through the warehouse. A small scratching sound filled the air, building louder. Tony whirled to see a small creature stalk out of the shadows. It was crystalline, eye-shaped limbs shining in the light. It didn't take long for Tony and the mages to find themselves surrounded by the ice garments. The small creatures hadn't looked all that intimidating in the drawings and reports she'd read upon arriving in Malifaux. Facing down over a dozen of them, she was rapidly revising that opinion. What do you think, Ironsides? 
Rayford asked, crouching down to smile at her. The famous Ice Witch isn't the only one that can bind winter into form. Granted, I'll admit to cheating a little, based on what I've heard of her methods. He held up a clear soul stone between two fingers. Didn't want all those deaths to go to waste, after all. Can you handle these? Tony asked, ignoring the man. Oh, most likely, Estella replied. Just don't take too long, eh? And don't lose that vial. Most of our wards are tied to it. The mage took a deep breath, held out both hands and began chanting in a clear voice. Moments later, Roger and Harry joined her, voices twining together like a choir. The air began to warm noticeably as they cast their spells. Tony tucked the vial into a pocket, then pulled on her brass knuckles. The familiar surge of cold adrenaline filled her, and she charged at the closest of the Garmin. The short creature snarled, lifting a dagger made of ice. She dodged past the blade, striking out with a swift combination of punches. The feel of ice cracking under her blows was strange compared to the give of flesh. Her enemy exploded, filling the air with shards of ice edged like glass. She hissed, raising an arm to cover her eyes. The ice shredded the cloth and flesh of her arm, and she could feel blood flowing freely. A quick glance told her the damage was superficial for now. Ignoring the pain, she glared up at Raithford, who was laughing. Come on, you bastard. Fight like a real man, she shouted. Oh, I much prefer fighting like a smart man, he replied, holding up a hand. A spike of ice flew through the air, flying past as she twisted out of the way. I'm not an idiot, after all. Why give up my advantage just because you ask? Tony dodged another icicle looking around desperately. The warehouse suddenly lit up like daylight, and she rolled forward away from the sudden burst of flame behind her. She could hear the three mages chanting louder, but blocked it out, focusing on her prey. Rayford's smile was finally gone, replaced by a look of utter hatred as he focused on the others. She turned to find a crate next to her and smiled, bending down to pick it up. Grunting, she lifted it high, then threw it at Rayford. The madman saw it a moment too late, throwing his hands out in a warding gesture. He fell to the ground with a cry, landing heavily. Within heartbeats, Tony was on him, stamping her foot down at his throat. Rayford rolled away, flipping himself onto his feet with a gust of icy wind. He spat blood on the ground, then moved smoothly into a fighting stance he didn't recognize. Frost covered his hands, which were held loosely open. You're not the only one with combat training, Ironsides, he said, eyes wild. Let's see which of us learned more. His first set of attacks was swift and brutal. For the first time in years, Tony found herself on the defensive, purely reacting to his unfamiliar style. She shook her head to clear it, and could feel blood on her upper lip. She shook her right arm as he stepped back, circling her with a grin. The arm felt wrong, sluggish. Glancing at it, she cursed as she saw the layer of frost on her exposed wounds. Come on, Ironsides, he taunted. I've heard nothing but how good you are for months. Let's see it, eh? She was ready this time as he charged, using her numb right arm to block his blow. Her left swung up, catching the tip of his jaw. He stumbled back 
Stance lost along with his balance. Tony stepped forward and slipped as she landed her foot squarely on the patch of ice he created with a desperate wave of his hand. Tony fell wrong, and she knew it. The back of her head cracked on the ground, making her cry out in pain. Blindly, she rolled to the side, trying to get to her feet before Wraithford recovered. The stabbing agony in her left arm as he crushed it made it clear she failed. She grabbed his leg with her right arm, and held on as he cursed. A swift kick upwards connected with his groin and he fell back. She stood, adrenaline flaring, and turned to confront him. My turn, bastard, she bit out, stretching her left arm experimentally. Probably broken, but she could power through the pain for now. Tony sprinted forward, hitting the man hard in the face. There was no time for finesse or skill. Only practical brutality was left. She hit again, holding her broken arm in tight to block with. Rayford's skill evaporated like mist as she hammered him again and again. He flailed wildly at her, trying to break her rhythm, and managed a glancing blow to the side of her head. Tony responded by grabbing his neck and twisting hard, throwing him to the ground. Immediately, her boot landed on his spine, pressing hard. Goodbye, Rayford, she hissed. Ironsides applied more pressure until she felt his neck pop. The madman spasmed once, then fell still. Tony, time to get out of here. She turned, stumbling over to the mages. Roger held Harry up by the shoulders, the student limp between them. A spike of ice was rammed in his shoulder, blood slowly leaking around the injury. Estella stood by the nearby wall, staring at the unconscious Mullock. She lifted her hand, palm aimed at the witch-hunter. "'Want me to finish him off, Tony? He'll live otherwise, I'd bet.' Tony chewed her lip, staring at the guild ram badge on his collar. That item symbolized everything she hated, everything she was determined to bring down. Her gaze drifted to the man's face, where blood dribbled past his lips and bruises covered his face. She stared at him for a long moment. Let him live, she said finally, then ran for the window entrance. Tony sat at the bar the next night, resting her broken arm on a small cushion. The last coin was active as usual, even this early in the evening. An empty glass sat next to her open book, awaiting the bartender's attention. It was still some time till tonight's card game, although they'd be one shy tonight. Harry's injuries were going to take time to heal, even with magic. She heard the door open, then the room fell deathly silent. Tony arched an eyebrow, turning to the door with a wince at the stiffness in her neck. Cyril Mullock limped into the room, leaning heavily on his cane, the golden ram badge prominent on his red coat. The guild officer looked around, staring down the Union miners. He smiled, bowing slightly. As you were, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not here to cause trouble tonight. Some of the miners turned to look at Tony 
She studied Moloch, then nodded slowly. After a few moments, the bar customers returned to their drinks and conversations. The witch hunter wandered over to the bar, fixing his gaze on her. Miss Ironsides, just who I was looking for. Mind sharing a drink with me? Yes. His head jerked back in apparent surprise. She sighed, then used her foot to push a stool out for him. What do you want, Malak? I see that we're no longer interested in being polite. He sat down, placing a bottle on the bar between them, then waved to the bartender for a glass. Brandy, from home. A gift, with my thanks. Along with this. The man took a book out of the bag he carried. I heard that you were reading The Republic. I thought that you would find Kant interesting. Tony narrowed her eyes, ignoring the items to stare at him. Your thanks for what? Muller carefully poured some of the brandy in the two glasses. He was quiet for a few moments, and Tony studied the bandages around his wrists. You saved my life, Miss Ironsides. I'll admit to curiosity as to how you ended up there, but that holds little relevance. I was rather in and out on that wall, but I was lucid long enough to recognize your voice. Hallucination, she said carefully, sniffing the drink. Miss... Tony, just for tonight could we drop the game, if only for a little while? I know it was you. I owe you a great deal. Thank you for that. She cautiously took a sip, then nodded. You're welcome. Of course, I'll deny it all later. Of course, he said, saluting her with his glass. Tony closed her book, studying Mullock's worn and tired face. Tell me, Mullock, do you play cards? Cards? He blinked in surprise. Well, I used to play some, but I'm not very good. She snorted a laugh. Not very good, my ass. I hope you play better than you lie. Got a card game tonight if you want. The witch hunter smiled. I'd like that. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.